uh, a dear friend of mine, but also has served since I've been in, in Indiana, has also served as not only a close friend, but also a mentor and just someone who has come alongside me uh, in what God has given. For me as a young pastor, uh, I've been blessed in that way, you know, to be in a community as someone who didn't know his left hand from his right, but then to have people who are seasoned in the faith to come alongside me um, to help me. And Bob is one of those people. So if you don't know Bob Santos, uh, he's also the founder and he writes books for Search for Me Ministries, um, which is primarily books, but also teaching materials, uh, seminars and things like that. Word of Grace, if you've been a member of Word of Grace for a while, you'll notice that um, we support different organizations uh, that do the work of the ministry. And this is one ministry that we support out of our tithing as a church. So uh, it's also a great privilege to have Bob share the word with us this morning because I want you as a church to also hear what God's been doing with him. Yeah, so if you could take maybe like a couple of minutes to just give us a what you've been doing as a ministry and what God's been showing you. But yeah, so it's my honor to welcome Bob Santos uh, to the platform as we see the Lord do what he's going to do. I am really excited to be here as much as I can look excited. Um, I just see a lot of familiar faces and there are a couple of churches in the community that we feel a real kindred uh, spirit with, and this is one of them. So uh, it's just so good to be with all of you. And Judah mentioned that um, you all support our ministry efforts, partners with us, and so I really appreciate that. Uh, it, it enables us to do uh, what we're able to do, what we do. When it comes to our teaching materials, uh, I focus on what I call missing link theology. And I'm, I'm not talking about anything with archeology span or anything like that. Um, what I'm talking about is there are key areas of our Christian understanding that I think are vital for growth, but that we don't necessarily focus on in the U.S. church, in the Western church. So there are areas that are either widely misunderstood or they're pretty much neglected when it comes to our body of teaching. So what I try to do is, is dive into those things and then develop an understanding and communicate. So some of what I, I'm going to talk about today actually comes out of one of those uh, missing, quote-unquote, missing links. A uh, couple other things that we do, we've, we've been um, very involved for a long time with helping to uh, tear down walls and preserve the unity of, of the Spirit of Christ within the community. So I, I used to be involved with college ministry, so we still keep our hands in that a little bit in that we uh, help the campus ministers to network with one another, to build relationships with one another, encourage them to pray together. Uh, we're also involved with the Indiana Pastors Network doing the same type of a thing, and it has just been a wonderful experience uh, being able just to relate to some amazing men and women of God in our community. So it's really an exciting time to be a part of it. Uh, the, the other thing that I do that's just kind of, I don't know, it kind of happened. Uh, when you have a, a presence, you know, not a huge presence, but any kind of a presence on, on social media and you're involved in ministry and you're part of an organization that does missions, you get a lot of people from other nations that friend you. So if you go to my Facebook page, I've got friends from Africa and all over the world, India. I don't know any of them. Um, and I tend to have this attitude because a lot of times they're just looking for money. And uh, a couple of years ago, 
I felt like the Lord was dealing with my heart, just saying that, you know, you really need to open up your heart here. Uh, your attitude isn't good. And I'm like, okay, fine. And so then a couple weeks later, I, I get this email or message, Facebook message from a woman in Pakistan whose uh, husband was a pastor, and they just wanted to connect and, and build a relationship. And I'm like, well, okay. Um, so one thing led to another. So for the past two years, I've been doing a weekly Bible study uh, with a group of leaders in, in Pakistan, of all places. I would have never picked that as a country. It just kind of, it was a God thing. Um, and it has just been a wonderful experience getting to know some of them, getting to know their church. They are amazing laborers for the gospel. They, they are going into unreached places, uh, reaching out to unreached Hindus uh, that are in, I mean, we're talking destitute of destitute, uh, the people that they're reaching out to and bringing the gospel to. So it is just, you, when you sign on with God's plans and purposes, you never know uh, where it's going to take you. You just don't. And all you can do is say, okay, Lord, whatever you want, that's what we're going to do. And, uh, but the realization is that nobody can do it alone. And so even though I'm the point person with Search for Me Ministries, I am well aware that we have people standing with us in prayer and with finances and with um, volunteer service. Uh, some of you, <laughs> Jackie has helped me with some of my books. And so um, that's, that's where we're at. So our next step, and then I'll, I'll get into the message, is um, I'm about to publish a book called The Age of Abiding, which is a more or less a summary of the Christian faith that hits a lot of the key areas that, that often get missed with a strong emphasis on our abiding relationship with the Lord, that the gospel is a message of relationship and not just the message of someday going to heaven. And so uh, we really want to get that book out there. So I have plans of, um, we're actually looking at translating it into Urdu so that we can distribute it to pastors in, in Pakistan. And um, if you, you know, pay attention, we'll get it out there. We're going to give away a ton of free copies of this book, especially digitally, because I feel like it meets a need for the church today. And uh, we really want to see God use it to touch lives. So that's, that's some of what's on the horizon. So this morning, uh, the title of my message is Into the Unknown, Into the Unknown. And uh, for me, it's a, it's a significant message because I grew up extremely insecure uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, we have some serious introvert genes in our family lineage. Um, me speaking in public, doing that kind of stuff, that just does not come naturally to me. It's something that I have to like make myself to do. I was awkward and geeky at a young age. Those aren't necessarily magnets for popularity, you know? Um, the high school girls weren't looking for geeky or awkward. That just wasn't high on their list. We had a, a very dysfunctional family life. There was a lot of arguing in the home. We lived in a government housing project. Uh, so we lived with a poverty mentality in the housing project. My father was an immigrant from Ecuador. And in... Um, a small western Pennsylvania community in the 1960s, we just didn't do diversity. You know, it just wasn't something that was welcome. Uh, and so all of those things led to me being very insecure. And part of my insecurity was a lot of fear and anxiety. And, and from a young age, I just felt like I was on my own, that if I didn't make something happen, it wasn't going to happen. I didn't have parents to walk me through the emotional difficulties. I mean, they were in the home, but they really weren't there for me. I, um, 
I really didn't have a God to rely on, and that's certainly no fault of his. It was more my attitude of thinking that, you know, uh, if he really loved me, he would have given me different circumstances in life. And so I just had this, this line of thinking that he was out there and he wasn't going to take care of me. And then I didn't have a lot of confidence in myself. So all of this was a recipe for insecurity. Now, I'm, I'm not whining here or anything like that. Um, God's brought a lot of changes, but what I'm trying to do is share with you a mindset that I carried with me from birth, and that is how I would approach unknown circumstances. I would approach them with fear and anxiety because I rarely looked at an unknown situation as though it was going to bring about good, as though it was going to be for my benefit. It was always something for me to be afraid of. Now, I, I wasn't walking with the Lord in those days. He was gracious. I had people praying for me, so I never really went off the rails uh, the way that I could have. I never got into deep trouble. But um, that was the life I lived in. 1980, I encountered God while a student here at IUP and changed my life forever. So many things changed, but my struggle with fear and anxiety did not change. That was still there. And, and in some ways, it became um, almost more, not ingrained, but it became more difficult to deal with because as a Christian, I was also feeling the weight of having to measure up to all these standards. You know, before it really didn't matter as much how you lived uh, morally, but, but as, as a Christian, I felt like I had to be this and I had to be that. And I just didn't have a handle on understanding the grace of God during that season of my life. So if we fast forward, uh, a lot has changed. I have a much better understanding of grace. I don't feel the same weight that I once did. I know the peace of God way more than I ever did. I, you know, if I'm going to be honest, I still have my, my moments or my seasons uh, when I struggle with the fear and anxiety, but it is not the way that it was. You know, it used to be that a stretch of anxiety was like nonstop. Now it's a momentary dip, and then you recover and, and move on. And so God has brought some, some really powerful changes in my life. One thing that hasn't changed in all those years is venturing into unknown territory. Uh, if anything, walking with God has meant that there has been more of the unknown in front of me than I ever experienced in the past. And so as I've thought about these things, I thought it would be good just to share some of the things that I've learned along the way that have helped me to draw closer to the Lord, that have helped me to trust him, that have helped me to experience his peace in a greater way. So that's what I'd like to do this morning. Hopefully it'll help you in your faith. Now, I'm not suggesting that you are weak in faith. Okay, maybe I am a little bit. Um, I think as Americans, we tend to profess a level of faith that we don't quite have. You know, we kind of think we're here when really maybe we're here. Last summer, I was talking to a woman who was seasoned in her service to God and, you know, not a young person. And she was just saying how much she trusted God and, and, and loved the Lord and trusted him. And in the very next breath, she was saying how worried she was about one of her kids. And I'm just thinking, wait a minute, something's not quite adding up here. And I think that's the way with a lot of us. I think that we, um, we think that we're here when it comes to trust, but when we get into the really difficult circumstances, it kind of reveals that we have a way to go. And so I think this is true pretty much of most of America. So I'm not, this isn't a criticism. This is just a reality that I think that we all have some growth uh, that's needed in this area. Now, to get into the missing link aspect of it, 
One of the huge problems that we have in the Western world is that we lack what I would call a covenantal mindset. A covenantal mindset. The Bible is steeped in covenantal thinking. If you read the scriptures with that perspective, from start to finish, there is an emphasis on covenant. But in the Western world, we have lost that understanding. Uh, in so many ways, we lack that perspective. And when we lack that perspective, it limits our understanding of the scriptures. It hinders our ability uh, to trust the Lord. It undermines the faithfulness of the relationships that make us to flourish. And so we're going to talk a little bit about covenant this morning. So what is a covenant? In its essence, a covenant is a sacred and binding relationship of the highest order. If you could put, you know, have this gradient of the, the strongest, most powerful relationships, a covenant would be at the top, especially a, a blood covenant. An interpersonal covenant is very different from a contract. And this is where I think there's a huge difference in thinking in the West. When we think of agreements between people or groups, we tend to think of contracts. But a covenant is very different from a contract. A contract says, I need to look out for my own interests. A covenant says, I'm here to look out for your interests. You know, the, the classic example uh, that should be a classic example, but we've really lost that in so many ways, is, is a marriage covenant. You know, when, when a couple exchanges vows, what are the vows saying? I am here for you. I'm here to look out for your interests. That's the mindset that a covenant carries. Now, this isn't, you know, I realize that we have lost so much, and, and this isn't any condemnation for anybody that's been divorced or anything like that. What I'm simply saying is that we need to recover a mindset that has been lost to the Western world. In ancient times, establishing a covenant involved sacred vows, and sometimes there was the use of blood in the covenant ceremony. Sometimes it was a sacrificial offering. Sometimes they would actually cut themselves and mingle their blood together. You know, you've, you've maybe uh, heard the term blood brothers that was common maybe among Native, Native Americans or groups like that. Every culture practically in the ancient world had this covenant mindset. In some cultures, breaking a covenant was the worst possible thing that you could do. The scoundrels, the lowest of the lows, were the covenant breakers. Even among thieves, a covenant was sacred. Those who broke covenants would bring terrible curses on their heads. This was the understanding in the ancient world. It's really common in our day um, to see a professional athlete that will maybe hold out on the final year of his contract. You know, I'm a Steelers fan, so we've seen plenty of that where, you know, somebody says, well, yeah, I have a contract in place, but I got to do what's best for me and for my family. And so the, the player won't play, even though they have a signed contract in place. Well, if that was a covenant, that player would be bringing curses upon his head, like, you know, may a poisonous snake crawl in your sleeping bay and bite you in the nether parts or something like that. I mean, it would be, it would be a vile curse pronounced upon the person's head. Doesn't that sound like the world of fantasy? I mean, you know, it sounds like we're talking like Lord of the Rings, Pirates of the Caribbean, or something like that. We're not talking about reality, and yet that was the reality of our ancient world, and that was the reality in which the scriptures were penned. 
So America has really suffered as a result. You know, we have a loss of trust in the business world. Oaths of office are routinely violated. I mean, an oath was to be something sacred that you didn't dare break. Now it's kind of like a formality of something that you do because you're supposed to, but does it really have the weight to, to make somebody trustworthy? We have the breakdown of the family unit. We have trust and honor that is lost within and between churches. See, when I talk about being involved with the church and the community, a big reason for it is because I recognize the covenant mindset in the scriptures, that when we come together in the new covenant in Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, not just within one church, but within the body of Christ in a community. And so it's that type of thinking that changes how we interact with others. Now, when God seeks to establish a relationship with a person, he usually does it in a covenantal context. If we go through in the scriptures, uh, we can think about Adam and Eve. And the word covenant isn't used in early Genesis, but you can find covenant language all through the Genesis story. Think about Abraham, you know, the father of our faith, and we're going to talk about him in a minute. Uh, God established a covenant with him. Moses in ancient Israel with what we call the Mosaic Covenant or the Old Covenant, and then obviously the New Covenant in Christ. So the, the whole trail of God's relationship with people was based on covenantal relationships. Why does he do that? Scripture doesn't tell us clearly, but I think it's because covenants are the closest thing that we have to understanding God's faithfulness. I think it's the closest thing that we have to understanding his faithfulness. You know, when you think about it, God doesn't need covenants. I mean, if he says something, that is gospel. He is going to do it. His faithfulness is absolute. But for us, the idea of a covenant, the concept of a covenant gives us a glimpse of his absolute faithfulness. Think about it. This, this is a word that, you know, in our culture, we do not like the word absolute. Uh, but if you think about it, God is absolutely wise. He is absolutely sovereign, and he is absolutely faithful. And it is, in the it is in the absolute nature of God that we find our peace. You know, there's a, there's a lot of issues in our postmodern world, and especially we see a lot of young people struggling with fear and, and anxiety, and, and some of the older generations kind of sneer at them, you know, call them snowflakes and things like that, like they can't handle what's going on. Uh, but, but so many people today are growing up in a world without absolutes. You know, for those that are my age, a little bit grayer, uh, there, was, there were at least a few absolutes. There were a few institutions that you could put your confidence in. There were some relationships that you could put your confidence in. Uh, not as much for me, but for my generation. Uh, there were just some things that you could trust in. And so much of that, because we have lost the sacredness of trust in our culture, so much of that has been lost, lost for the younger generations. And so we have a lot of young people who are just really struggling to navigate difficult situations because they don't have an absolute rock that they can hold on to during difficult situations. So covenants help us to understand the nature of a truly faithful relationship. Covenants are sacred because trust 
is sacred. And trust is sacred because trust is the foundation for relational intimacy. And relational intimacy is sacred because it reflects the relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and the relationship that they want to have with all of us. So all of this is tied together in a really powerful way. Now, when Adam and Eve violated the, the, what we call the Edenic Covenant, they broke a sacred trust, and they brought vile curses upon humanity. You can read about that in Genesis 3. We're not going to go there right now. But the Lord wanted something better for us. He wanted to bring us back to him. Even though the human race was guilty of violating and breaking the sacred covenant, God wanted to restore that relationship. And that process of restoration began with a man named Abram, or a man that we call Abraham. Um, and it was God's relationship with Abraham, this covenant relationship with Abraham, that really establishes a pattern for all of us. I want to take a look at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It's become one of my favorite passages. And it, it is essentially God's call to Abraham. But there's something about this, because Abraham is the father of our faith. What we see in his life is really a pattern that is repeated in our lives. Not exactly uh, word for word, but the pattern is there, that what happened with Abraham happens with us in so many ways. So Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is such a powerful passage. What's he saying? Number one is he's saying, go and leave all that is familiar. In other words, step out of your comfort zone and go into the unknown in obedience to me. Now, you might not be called to pick up and leave your family, but you're called to step out of your comfort zone into the unknown in obedience to God. You know, it might be walking across the street and sharing the gospel with your neighbor, or it might be signing up for some sort of a uh, opportunity to serve that you think is beyond. It could be anything. But the idea is there is that we are called to step out of our comfort zones and into the unknown in our service to the Lord. He says, I will make you, make of you a great nation. This is God's desire for us. God, Abraham did not say, Lord, make me great, make me great. God says, I will make of you a great nation. You are my child. I want greatness for your life. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. There's a key here too as well, because in our world, greatness is about lifting ourselves up and seeing what we can achieve and, and, and being known and popular and all that type of stuff. But in the kingdom of God, God's dynamics, greatness is humbly serving and giving of ourselves to others. And so the, one of the keys for Abraham's life is that his greatness was tied to being a blessing to others. It wasn't tied to him lifting himself up above everybody. It was to being a blessing to, to those around him. And then God makes a statement that has just really um, touched me. Those who dishonor you, I will curse. And that translation is accurate in the Hebrew. Uh, essentially what it's saying is that if anyone 
even so much as treats you lightly or with dishonor or with contempt, I will curse that individual. What's that saying? That is saying that God is absolutely devoted to his covenant friends. That he had such an esteem for Abraham that he promised that anyone who even mistreated him in thought or in word would be cursed. That covenant is no less viable for us today. And then finally, he says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And there we see a picture, uh, again, of the idea that being blessed comes from being a blessing, but this is, this is essentially God's prophetic promise that he would use the lineage of Abraham to bless all the nations of the earth. So that the people like me, you know, a child of Abraham, a spiritual child of Abraham, are somehow tied up with a group of people in Pakistan, uh, all the nations of the earth. It's God's desire. So the Lord gave Abraham this message at the beginning of his journey into the unknown. And in many ways, Abraham had a lot of faith, but he also had some challenges, you know? Like he got in a situation where he went into a country and kind of looked around and said, you know, my wife's really attractive and I think the king likes her. Uh, Here, king, take my wife. Um, I think that was kind of a weak moment for him, you know? And and not only did he do it once, he did it twice. Um, And so there had to be this process where God perfected whatever word you want to use, whether you talk about growing his faith or perfecting his faith or or firmly establishing his faith. But there was a process, a 25-year process that Abraham went through where God firmly established the man's faith. And we read about that in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. Let me read this for you because it is so, so powerful. It says, In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, what I find to be really interesting about this is that it, is, it runs opposite of the way that we think. We think that our faith will be established as we see God do things for us. But in this case, Abraham's faith was established before he had the fulfillment of the promise. It was during the season that he was waiting, that he was living with this uncertainty. He was living in the unknown. It was during that season that his faith began to grow and to become stronger. And I think this is really significant for all of us. How do we react to unknown circumstances? We say, God, I need something tangible to hold on to as a source of security. And the Lord says, reach out through my word and take my unseen hand. We say, God, I need to see the plan. I need to see the plan of what this is going to be, how this is going to work out. Show me the plan. And the Lord smiles and says, I'll give you the next step. And we're like, no, no, God, I I need the plan. I need the whole thing in front of me. And he says, um... 
you haven't yet achieved God's status, so this isn't a negotiation, okay? <laughs> this is the way it's going to work. I'm going to give you the next step, and you trust me. And as you trust me, I'll give you the step after that. And as you continue to trust me, I'll give you the step after that. And through this process, there's a transformation that takes place in our lives, a really powerful transformation. Why does he torment us like this? We're the children of Abraham. And so the same type of work that he did in Abraham's life, he desires to do in our lives. You see, a lot of us, we get into these situations that are more difficult than we expect. And we begin to think, well, you know, maybe God's abandoned me, maybe his word isn't true, or we kind of freak out over it. Uh, the reality is, those are the times when we really need to stop and say, Lord, what do you want to do? Is there something that you're trying to accomplish here? Uh, it's not a sign of his abandonment. It's a sign that he's trying to, to do something with our faith that the scripture says is more important or more valuable than gold. So my point is that the Lord often leads us into unknown circumstances because he has a really good promise for us to bless us and to grow us and to use us for his plans and purposes. In this, my understanding of faith has shifted through the years. I used to think of faith as something that I had to work up. You know, uh, ever see the, the Rocky movie where he's like running up and down the steps and na 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 na, you know, uh, working up his, his, his emotions to get out there and to have the fight? I used to think of faith as being that way. But as time has gone on, I've begun to realize that faith has more about what I see than what I do. It's more about what I see. It's more about seeing God for who he is rather than trying to work up some emotion to be able to trust him. Faith is about what we see. Now, obviously, when it comes to God, it's a spiritual sight. It's a spiritual being able to see uh, to recognize. Think about it. Um, if I were to say to you, you know, Judah Thomas, I know that guy. He's a schmuck, you know? Uh, how, would you, how would you respond? You'd be like, no. No, that's not the way Judah is. Well, yeah, yeah, he's, you know, he's kind of shady. <laughs> You'd be like, no. Well, that's, well, how do you know? Well, I've seen him. I've seen him sacrificially give of himself for the sake of others. I've seen him in the middle of really difficult situations in the way that he has stood on God's promise and the way that he's been a man of integrity. And so when you see him, you trust him. And that's really what it is, uh, the way it is with the Lord. And, you know, we can think of verses like... Um, Romans 10, 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But when you think about it, even the word of God helps us to see the Lord clearly for who he is. That so often trusting him is seeing him by faith. It's recognizing God's character and who he is. And this is where a covenantal mindset is so important for us. Because if we understand the basic 
principles of covenant, of a covenant relationship, if we understand the absolute faithfulness that is involved in a covenant relationship, then we have the better ability to see the absolute faithfulness of the God that he serves, we serve, that his promises are unwavering, that when he says something, he means it. He will not go back on it. The bigger issue is for us to trust. Now, this is where the value of entering into unknown territory looms large, because when we get into unknown territory, that's when we begin to see God work and move in ways that we would have never seen otherwise. I mean, when we're in our comfort zones, think about it. What, what do we need? <laughs> what do we need to trust God for when everything's comfortable? But when we get into the unknown, uh, it, it puts a draw on us. It's like, man, there's something here that I've got I've to deal with, I've got to trust for. Um, you know, we have all kinds of adversities in life. We have all kinds of unknowns. Sometimes we run into health issues and, you know, maybe we're struggling with something physical, but sometimes the greater weight is just the uncertainty of where this is going to lead, the uncertainty of what's coming next. We all wrestle with those types of issues. I have a, um, I have an old tablet, Samsung tablet, that has long ceased to function as far as the world is concerned. But I have on it a group of uh, memory scriptures that I review. Almost daily, I go through some of the scriptures just to remind myself of, of God's truth and of what the Word is saying. But when I get into a really difficult situation, another thing that I do is I pray and I say, Lord, open my eyes. Open my blind eyes to your reality. Help me to see you for who you are. Because I've come to realize that when I am anxious in a situation, it's just simply because I don't see God fully the way that I need to. And so that has become, that prayer has become a staple of my life. Lord, open my blind eyes and help me to see you for who you are. Think about it in Abraham's life. Uh, after he went up to the mountain with his son and he was willing to sacrifice him and, and the angel stayed his hand, Abraham still needed a sacrifice for the offering. And he looked and he saw a ram caught in the thicket. And it was out of that experience that the name Jehovah-Jireh was introduced to us because in that time of adversity and need, God revealed himself as the God who provides I had a situation years ago when we were involved in campus ministry where we were doing an outreach on campus and we had a, a worship team that was doing some music and I am like a music moron. I don't know anything about music or equipment or anything like that. And so um, the guy who's on the worship, leading the worship comes up and says, uh, we got a problem. We don't have a cable that we need for us to be able to do this. And, and we have like 15 minutes, you know, and I'm like... I don't know, what do we do? And so we pray, and he's like, Lord, we need help here. And 10 minutes later, he comes back and says, ah, we got it figured out. We were able to make it work. I saw God move. I saw him work. And so inevitably, that situation came up again a few years later, and what was my response? God's going to provide. I mean, I knew it in his word, but I also saw it in my life. I saw him reveal himself as being faithful in this situation. 
And so I don't have to just rely on myself. I can put my trust and my confidence in him. This is the bottom line. The more we see him for who he is, the more that we trust him. The more we see him for who he is, the more confidence we have that he is going to take care of us, meet our needs, bless us, and use us for his plans and purposes. So where are you this morning? What unknown circumstances lie before you? Are you looking at them as an opportunity so that you can learn more and see God in a way maybe that you never did before? Are you holding on to his covenant promises? Or do you find yourself fretting and grabbing onto something, trying to grab onto something that can satisfy your natural senses? Or are you digging in your heels afraid of the next unknown? Folks, the reality is that this season of unknown is not going to go away anytime soon. There are so many things in our world that will continue to be unseen to us when it comes to the future. The stability that we knew of the past is not the norm for the future. And so more than ever, it's a time for us to press into the Lord and to just pray and say, Lord, show us who you are. We're going to step out in obedience. And as we go, we're asking you to reveal yourself to us. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father, what a absolute game changer it is for us to recognize that your faithfulness is absolute. Lord, there is no wavering whatsoever in your faithfulness to your promises, Lord God. There is no wavering whatsoever in your faithfulness to your covenant children. Lord, we come here today, Lord, not as a people who are trying to make it on our own, Lord God, not as, not as people who are somehow out on a limb, Lord God, by ourselves and, and without help or without support, Lord. We come to you today as your covenant friends, Lord God, as your children, as part of the royal family of God. And Lord, we bring the uncertainties that we have before your throne. Lord, we, we come before you with honesty, Lord, the areas that we are anxious and that we're struggling and that we're concerned, Lord God, we recognize that you are the God of those areas, Lord. Lord, even though there are unknown circumstances, Lord, there is no uncertainty when it comes to you and to who you are and to your faithfulness, to your promises. And so, Father, we yield ourselves to, to you this morning Lord, we are willing to step out as you call us into the unknown, Lord God, in obedience to you with the confidence, Lord, that you will meet us every step of the way. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would open our blind eyes to see you for who you are. Lord, that we wouldn't see some sort of a romantic image of God, Lord, that we wouldn't see a worldly perspective of a God who is our servant or a God who is absent or anything like that, Lord God, but that we would see you for your true self. Lord, as we get into these anxious situations, we pray that you would remind us 
to look to you, to pray for vision and wisdom and the ability to see. And Lord, that you will transform us and establish us as your people the way that you did with Abraham, Lord God. Lord, we recognize that your desire is to bless all the nations of the world. And so we yield ourselves, Lord, that you might use us in whatever capacity you desire. Lord, open our eyes and teach us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.